Hello, and welcome to Through the Undertone. I'm your host, Nicole Lowell, and today's episode is Truckers Against Trafficking. So come join us as we wade through the undertow. Thank you for joining us today. As always, we provide trigger warnings and content warnings in our show notes and on our episode pages at our website. That can be found at www.throughtheundertow.com. That's www.throughtheundertow.com. See the latest episodes on our homepage or click on the episode page for a more comprehensive list. Today we have with us Helen Hofer from Truckers Against Trafficking. Truckers Against Trafficking is an amazing organization that is committed in the fight against ending trafficking. Let's take a moment to learn more. Helen, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. So please tell me a little bit about who you are and about your organization. Yeah, so my name is Helen Hofer. I am the Freedom Drivers Project Director for Truckers Against Trafficking. So I manage a lot of our outreach and events with companies, community members, industry trade shows. I do a lot of that for Truckers Against Trafficking. I've been doing that for about six years. I I came to Truckers Against Trafficking having no experience in the trucking industry, but having done other things with the anti-trafficking movement and then hearing about the work that Truckers Against Trafficking is doing, just being really inspired by that and glad that I could lend it hand to that. That's amazing. So Mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about Truckers Against Trafficking. Yeah. So as the name says, right, we work specifically with the trucking industry. Now, actually, we work with the bus industry as well as oil and gas or energy. We're also working with wind and solar. So we kind of have expanded within any reach of transportation in that sense. Anywhere you're going to get your CDL, we want to make sure that people have the opportunity to learn about human trafficking because we recognize that the professional drivers, they are in locations where they could potentially come in contact with potential victims, whether that's a rest area, a truck stop, a bus station, uh, whether that's where you're picking up, you're dumping water from an oil field. These are all areas where we know there are cases of human trafficking. And since you're already there, you're already trained to be observant, why not train you to call the National Human Trafficking Hotline, know what to look for so you can be an even uh, greater advocate in your community, even more than they're already serving their communities. And so we recognize that piece. And so Truckers Against Trafficking, we have training videos, industry-specific training videos for free, along with wallet cards, posters, that kind of all these other training materials that we can give out to professional drivers. So when you are out on the road, when you're doing your job, you're able to check this out, look at those red flags, know what to look for, and make the call. And so that is our mission to educate, empower, equip, and mobilize members of the trucking, bus, and energy industries to combat human trafficking as a part of their everyday jobs. And we do that through saturating the industries with our materials, training law enforcement, right? So there's there's closing this loophole when you call the hotline number, they'll get connected to victim resources. And if you approve, they'll get connected to law enforcement. Then they can send law enforcement out. And we want to make sure law enforcement is trained to respond the best they can, right? They know what interacting with these potential victims looks like. They know what these situations look like. We get the best trained individuals out there to make sure that everyone involved can have a fully safe and just process. That and then obviously we like to partner with the industry through financing this, that they really are the ones who are moving this forward because they're partnering with their influence, their finances, their connections, and their expertise to really move this movement forward. 
That's amazing. That's amazing. I think it's also amazing that you're doing your best to expand. And with the buses, Mm -hmm. I think that's a tremendous opportunity for long distance bus drivers to see absolutely examples of people being held against their will. Yeah. So we work with motor coach, transit, and school bus. So we have a school bus specific because obviously that looks a little bit different, especially in the grooming phase for human trafficking. Sure. Uh, but for transit and motor coach, right, we're talking about people who are literally, this is potentially the point where they are being, their traffickers bought a ticket for them to come to them from wherever they were, right? There's this opportunity that's potentially catching them before it ever happens. It can Absolutely. also be when they're in transit and they're already being trafficked with transit, literally, like if you're on a transit bus and you use that to get to and from clients, buses, I think it's above it's above 30% of survivors. And I think it's closer to 40, but I don't want to overshoot, say that they actually tried to use transit as a part of getting out of their trafficking situation because they didn't have any other transportation options. And so then imagine someone's trying to get away and you can be that voice saying, hey, there are actually other people out here who want to support you. And like, let's connect you to those resources. So it is truly a powerful industry to connect with. So many avenues of before it happens, while it's happening or after it's happening, the bus industry can truly make a big impact. Absolutely. That's amazing. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about how Truckers Against Trafficking came about. Yeah. So, right. So, right. I said I have nothing like I didn't come from a trucking background, but actually our founders, our two sisters, Kyla and Kendis, and their family um, had had some experience with the trucking industry, worked. So their mother grew up where they ran a motel that truckers often frequented. So she knew them as this like they are really kind and generous and wanting to get involved. So there's that component, right? You have this going on over here. And then Kendis goes to a, a human trafficking conference years later, right? Goes to a human trafficking conference and someone mentions, oh yeah, one of the places that we have seen some cases are truck stops because traffickers will take their victims wherever they think they can make money. It's not just truck stops. It's not mostly truck stops, but you know, motels, city streets, business areas, like they'll go wherever they think they can sell their victim. And this happens to be one of the places. So Kendis hears that and is talking about it with her family. Her family ran a ministry and they started incorporating this thinking, okay, not only could someone train a truck stop, but that's one location. What if we trained the drivers who are potentially going to all these different locations? Then, you know, how much more of a multiplier is that if they're going to multiple locations? So they start kind of thinking through and building it. And there was this connection of like, from their mom speaking and saying, yeah, drivers would totally get involved. Like that is something they would definitely want to be a part of stopping. And so then that's kind of where we started. We started in 2009, finished our first training video in 2011 and have been growing ever since. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. I don't think people recognize the impact that truckers can have on this particular industry. It's like an invisible like force right? That people don't recognize, like, how are things getting to your grocery store? How are things getting to your convenience store? How are you buying clothes? And like, who's moving the race cars to the race car tracks? Like, these are all drivers who are either local or over the road who are getting all these goods places. And they're trained to be some of the safest, most observant people, right? Professional drivers are the safest ones out there on the road. And so why not from this vantage point, be on the lookout where you're already being observant for all these other like safety concerns? Sure. being proactive in that way, you're also wanting to be proactive in recognizing, oh, I see something. I see these behaviors are hitting some of these red flags. I need to do something about that. Absolutely. Now, do you guys teach the truckers to engage or do you teach them just to observe and report? 
So I would say we lean more towards observe and report. It would be a particular situation. So typically what we're saying is law enforcement in order to open an investigation for someone, in order to know, like, this is human trafficking, we're going to take immediate action, you need to talk about detailed information. So we're asking people to take their energy, look for license plate numbers, DOT numbers if a truck or a professional vehicle is involved, looking for locations, dates, as much description about the people and their interactions. Collect that information anonymously. Call the hotline number from a safe location. If you do happen to interact with someone, the dangers with that is if a trafficker is watching, do they feel like, oh, I could get beaten for this interaction? Maybe, maybe not. Totally depends on their trafficker. Their trafficker could have dropped them off and have other means of controlling them, right? So Mm -hmm. that may or may not be the case. So you may be able to interact with them and just say, when's the last time you talked with your family? Or what's your favorite restaurant? Or, you know, some of these things that start to give you a sense of, Does this person have freedom to choose where they go and when they go somewhere, when they communicate with someone, how they communicate with someone? Do you get the sense they're being isolated? Uh, Are they allowed to make eye contact with you or not? Like, are there signs of fear or oppression Mm -hmm. that you're seeing, right? Some of those body language pieces that are, obviously, they they have to put on a show in order to sell, right? Mm -hmm. So you're going to get that, like, I'm glad to be here. Obviously, I want to be here (laughs) because... In order to make that sale, they have to tell someone I'm here on my own volition, right? You're not going to get someone who's typically, I'd say 99% of the time, you're not going to get someone who's saying, by the way, I'm a trafficking victim. Will you help me? Absolutely. (laughs) Right? Absolutely. You can also be looking for signs of branding. So tattoos that show ownership. So it could be a simple moneymaker, daddy's girl, dollar signs, things that are like, I am an object that is being sold, those things in different areas. And that might take some Googling different areas. I know that there are some like if it's a cherry or a crown could be on their neck, across their chest, on their lip. I've seen that. Mm. So any of those things could be indicators. But the things that we're really asking people to look for, the two most obvious signs of trafficking are if there is a minor involved in commercial sex Mm-hmm. That is automatically a victim of sex trafficking. Doesn't matter if they are. Out, they say, I want to be here. This is my own choice. This is how I'm in control of my life, right? Because if someone has run away or is being kicked out of their house, they want to be in control of their life again, right? They want to make that. But reality is that is a child in need of support as much as it might seem like they don't want that. And then second, no matter the age of the potential victim, they could be 40, they could be 21, any of that if you see another individual involved. So you see, oh, this is my boyfriend. This is my friend who's helping me. Those are signs of potential traffickers. If there's a trafficker involved, no matter the age of the potential victim, that's trafficking. And so if you see either one of those things, we recommend immediately calling 911 or your local sheriff's office and then calling the hotline because the hotline, they're the people who are, you know, they have the data, they collect it, they can connect to victim resources and the law enforcement who is in charge of human trafficking investigations in that area to get them on the case as soon as possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's amazing. I just, oh, wow. And how do you guys help truckers recognize the importance of protecting people from being trafficked and the dangers that victims face? Our primary tools are our training videos, and they're all free. You can go to our website, scroll down on our homepage, and you'll see our trucking video. Go to our programs tab. You'll be able to find it for energy, uh, state agencies, law enforcement, the bus industry, school buses. Uh, So all of those videos are for free on our website. We work with CDL schools. We work with companies. We work with state agencies in order to make sure that these training videos in our wallet card, so we have a card 
fits in your wallet <laughs> that has the hotline number on it, definition of human trafficking, red flags of what to look for, potential questions you could ask if it was safe to ask them, as well as then a, a warning to not approach traffickers. So we have those cards in the training video, and that's how we're getting it out there, asking companies to put it into their onboarding process. If your company receives goods or ships goods, you are working with a trucking company. If you live between major hubs, you might have a motor coach going through your area. If you live in a city, you have transit, like you have leverage. If you live anywhere, right, you're going to be a part of a school district. And so these are all ways that you can reach out through your sphere of influence and say, hey, there's this free training. Are you using it? Like are our school bus drivers going through this 30 minute video? Can we add that to the summer training stream? Like, are sure. they, do they get a wallet card? Do they get a sticker to put in the bus that says, do you need help? All of these things are free. And we, we ask your listeners to say, who am I connected to? Do I know any truck drivers, bus drivers? Do I contact my school district and ask them and get the materials out there? And then, right, if your company works with a trucking company, hey, are the carriers we are contracting with TAT trained? I could even just ask the driver we interact with, the UPS drivers, UPS is trained, FedEx is training. Um, but hey, local driver, have you received a wallet card? There's all of these touch points wherever you interact with the transportation or energy industries, you can be asking, hey, are you familiar with human trafficking and how it intersects with your industry? And are you aware that there is free 30-minute training that you can go through that helps you learn the real story of trafficking, right? 99% of the time, it is not their own choice. That it is something that they, either they didn't feel like they had a choice, right? Economically, they didn't feel like, oh, I can just go and get XYZ job. This is my only choice. A lot of times, victims of human trafficking have already experienced sexual abuse, right? Mm -hmm. I've already mm -hmm. seen early some form of abuse. And so this sort of someone saying they love you and then abusing you, that isn't a red flag anymore if that's what you've already experienced. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? So they're going to look for that and know that. And so then this is already programmed to say, I don't really have a choice. I don't really get to be someone who doesn't do this. Mm -hmm. This is just what I do. This is the community that will accept me. These are the people who will be my fam. Or just not even understanding what your choices are. Like if, exactly. you, if it's presented that this is your, that your option is this or homelessness. Right. You might say, well, I'd rather have a roof over my head, even if it's in this, like, you just might not completely understand the ramifications of the choices that you're making, yeah. depending on your history, depending on, you know, like you said, what, how you're being groomed, how people are manipulating you and in many ways brainwashing you, it can definitely impact your thought process on life and on your own liberty and your own choices and freedoms. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of times those people, even when they're saying this is my choice, mm, it's really coming from a place that's not, um, okay, but is that your choice if you had all these options? If you had all these options, would that still be your choice? So I definitely agree with you there. I think that that's um, something that people have to be aware of. And I also don't think that people recognize how frequently people that are trafficked in your own neighborhood and you don't even know it. You just don't know it. And so much of what I've been talking about is like sex trafficking, right? But we have to recognize there's also labor trafficking in the United States. And so we're talking about people in construction, whether that's like home construction, whether that's magazine crews, agricultural fields. So areas where people are like, oh, I live, I don't live in a city, so I don't see trafficking. It's like, no, there are all these other ways that 
trafficking can be happening in your area. Anywhere where there are vulnerable people and greedy people, you can find trafficking, right? You're going to find that demand for it and they're going to want to use and fill that demand and make that money. Now, I heard you say at the beginning that you came from experience um, with trafficking prior to your Truckers Against Trafficking. So I worked for another anti-trafficking organization. Awesome. Awesome. Mm -hmm. So what led you to that? What led you to this line of work? I was in college and I was learning more about immigration, actually. So I started hearing about it through learning about international immigration. So I learned about Southeast Asia and trafficking that was happening there in legal prostitution, but there was actually trafficking happening there in Southeast Asia, in Europe, Eastern Europe to Western Europe, right? Trafficking people into Amsterdam saying, oh, I'm going to give you a job as a waitress, but really actually, no, you're not a waitress. Now I'm selling you into the sex industry. So I first learned about it internationally. I was in Boulder, Colorado. I was visiting some friends. And they're like, hey, I committed to this meeting tonight. Will you just come with me to this like seminar? And then let's go out to dinner afterwards. And this is the time we have. So I went with her. And it, the crazy story is this is actually the person who presented is my current boss, but we didn't connect at that point. Oh, that's but, interesting. Yeah, isn't that fun? Uh, so she was presenting on human trafficking in the United States. And when I heard, right, there are people in the, like when you spend two seconds, it makes sense. Like, oh, it's only happening in other countries. Like wh- why? Absolutely. <laughs> you, like I said, right, if you have vulnerable people, if you have greedy people, you'll have trafficking. And so she talked about it in the United States and it like it blew my mind. I have friends and family members who have experienced sexual abuse and to imagine that someone is being told that that is the only thing that you can experience. This is it for you. Like this is what you should do, this is the best thing for you and this is what this is what love looks like. Period stop. That's it. You don't get to experience anything else. Like this is the best that you can hope for. Yeah. Really, this is like, I am gifting you this experience, right? Like mm-hmm. we are, yeah. right? I mean, it's that manipulation that says that this is what it looks like. And so period and stop, this is where you need to be. This is where you have to be or kind of whatever the manipulation is. And so when I heard about that, I knew I need to get involved and knew I would do something about it for the rest of my life and making sure that every person has the opportunity to choose their own path, truly choose their own path. We've talked about this a couple of times, right? If you don't if you aren't aware of other options is it really a choice and so the freedom the liberty to say i don't want to do this uh, and i don't have to i have other values and other skills and other like i get to be whoever i want to be and so that really struck me and i knew that i also had this idea this was like i was in college at the time and i was like if i'm going to get good at anything i better do it start now because it's going to take me a really long time to be an expert so i was like get committed now so that i can actually make an impact when i'm older <laughs> but i've i've had the opportunity to be a part of a of a bigger bigger mission with truckers against trafficking and with the anti trafficking movement here in the united states Absolutely. I think that's like the work that you guys do is so amazing. You know, for me personally, you know, my children were sexually abused, but they were also unfortunately trafficked by their own father. I didn't know that was happening. So I know other people wouldn't have known that that was happening. But I know that like, even now, sort of the impact that that has left with my youngest daughter, she, you know, as we had mentioned previously, she doesn't really have a concept of healthy love. She doesn't have a concept Mm -hmm. of 
self-protection actually. And so there have been a couple of times where she's met friends online and she's just like, I want to go visit them. And I'm like, yeah, that's not happening where you know that whoever she's speaking to is like, "Mm, that's probably a grown man, baby. And you don't need to be like, you know, where I genuinely believe that given the right opportunities, she would be gone and I wouldn't know where she was. And, you know, I've taken steps to Mm -hmm. really work on protecting her from that, but knowing that there's other people out there watching for those warning signs mm-hmm. and signals. And again, especially to me, the bust industry is such a tremendous, I feel like opportunity for safety measures to be put in place to protect people like yeah. my daughter and people that are in that situation. Another safety net, right? I mean, school bus drivers potentially spend more time with your student than anyone else, right? If they're seeing them twice a day for, you know, 30 minutes to 45 minutes, that's more time than they're spending in any one classroom potentially. And they're seeing them in this social environment, right? This like, I'm not structured doing schoolwork and learning a lesson. I'm just hanging out and spending time and think of what you can observe in that and the ways that people interact, way kids interact with others, who's picking them up from the school bus, who's dropping them off, like how are they interacting with other people? I mean, so right, truckers are trafficking, we have a podcast called Driving Freedom. Just a couple episodes ago, we interviewed a survivor leader from Canada. She was trafficked by her family. And she talked about these signs that she, like you mentioned this, like you don't know how to self-protect, that that has already been shifted. And so she was, she was like asking to make out, like telling her friends, unless you make out with this guy, we're not friends. And they're seven years old. Or like, you know, it's these behaviors that she was scolded for, like you being sexually promiscuous. But why did she even know that that was a thing? Absolutely. Absolutely. And And that is definitely, yeah, if you can't, if you're not watching out for that, for those signs, unfortunately, you know, in my particular instance, my children were abused from the time they were born. And so a lot of their memories were repressed. They didn't have a lot of those behaviors, but even some of the behaviors that they did have, Obviously, now I can say, well, that makes so much sense why they had those behaviors. But I think, too, if which is part of the reason why, to me, it's like if we can get the word out. Exactly. Watch out for those behaviors. If you have a child that's anxious all the time and you just don't have a reason for why that anxiety is happening, okay, well, there's a reason. Like, mm-hmm. look harder. Maybe there's things that you're missing. If you have a child who is afraid of strangers, like past a certain age, where it genuinely is like... They don't want to be around any other people. They're showing that level of distrust. Why? Why are they showing that? What's going on with that? I think our country tends to have blinders on to certain subjects and certain things that are going on. And I think part of the way that we need to do our best to protect all children is to just be more observant. So I think when you guys are have a whole organization dedicated to that, to just observe these signs, just observe what's happening. I really think that's amazing. That's amazing to me. Thank you. And I'm so thankful and glad, right, that you are the protector of your kids, right? That you get to be that voice who's like, hey, actually, that's not a good idea, right? And get to set those patterns and re-normalize these safety precautions and these, yeah, like really thankful and glad and what a beautiful thing that that gets to be now, right? That there gets to be that healing and that chance. And so Thank shout you. out to you and all the, the work that that means. Um, Thank you so much. Yeah. And I think people don't recognize that you have to work and you have to rebuild those patterns so that they understand what healthy relationships are, what 
healthy love is and what self-love is. You have to teach them about self-love. Like you have to love yourself and they lose that in this unhealthy thing that's happening to them. They lose the ability to look at themselves in a positive way. I think sometimes they lose the ability to look at the future. I know even now when I ask my kids, like, you know, my youngest is 15. And when I say, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like she can't answer that question that causes her a lot Mm -hmm. of anxiety because that's a concept that she just didn't have growing older and being out of the situation that she was in was not something that she could conceive of, but also Mm -hmm. thinking about being in that situation forever wasn't something that she could really conceive of either. So it's the coping mechanisms, right? I mean, it makes sense. Like I, I'm in counseling as I go through my own secondhand trauma of all of this work and just learning that those served a purpose, right? That that reaction of like, I'm not going to think about the future or I'm going to dissociate from this feeling served a purpose of protection in that moment. Mm-hmm. So how do we unlearn that and learn, oh, this is a safe environment where I don't need to utilize that mechanism. Like how do you, that takes work because it was put in place pretty strongly and for a good reason when someone has been abused. And so I say that when people are interacting with potential victims to know that they might come off as really abrasive. They might come off as really standoffish because they have those protective mechanisms in place for a good reason because they are yeah. experiencing violation on multiple levels. They're experiencing that they don't have control over their lives. So they're going to try and get it wherever they can, or they're going to just stop entirely because they have lost that will, right? Because it's been ripped from them. And so you have to acknowledge that there are all these other layers. That means that the way that you might typically interact with someone don't apply because of the complex trauma that this person has experienced. And so, gosh, I mean, it could have been only two or three years ago where I wouldn't have acknowledged like, oh, because a younger person is sexually acting out, Like, don't do that. That's bad. That's your choice, you know, or something like that without acknowledging Mm -hmm. why. Maybe it's not sexual abuse. Maybe it's the the media or maybe it's a friend that's Mm -hmm. like encouraging that. It may not have been to the level of sexual abuse, but to have compassion, to have compassion and take a minute and be like, let's figure out why this behavior is manifesting rather than just addressing the behavior and saying that's wrong. Because, right, shame Never did anyone really any good. No, no. never did anyone good, period. <laughs> like, Absolutely. Like, it doesn't forward. change behaviors in a positive way. It doesn't make them understand what they did, why it's wrong. And mm-hmm. honestly, the reality is, you know, one of the things that my daughter struggles with, she does get shamed a lot. And she genuinely doesn't always understand why what she's doing is wrong because that's not what she was taught. Yeah, And literally for her, because of the nature of what happened with that, with my children and that it was nine years. My oldest, my son was 16, 16 years Mm -hmm. of this behavior and treatment and whatever. Like that's all, you know, you don't know anything different. So why would you think that, you know, there's so many times when we in our own family lives recognize later on, wow, what my parents did was kind of messed up. You know what I'm saying? Like whether it's, they punished me for something really ridiculous or they didn't punish me when I was really doing something that they should have punished me, like whatever it is, Mm -hmm. you recognize that you get older and when you grow up and when you're exposed to more that that's how you recognize that whatever you went through was something Mm -hmm. that potentially you shouldn't have gone through. Well, that's the same thing with children. You know, if children are children, they don't have that exposure. Like we all have to start thinking about it from that standpoint of like, well, if all they know is whatever they're doing, 
then you treating them as if that's a shameful behavior isn't changing them in any way except for negative. Now you've attached shame to whatever they're doing when you don't know why they're doing what they're doing. So I Mm -hmm. definitely agree with you there. I think that's important to always have grace and compassion when you're dealing with kids. Yeah. And I mean, what an opportunity then to be talking to your kids about it so that they can be those other kids in the schoolyard saying, having compassion and asking those questions too, or in, in high school, recognizing that and having compassion on their friends instead of being the person who ostracizes because it's like, oh, this behavior is weird, or I don't know what to do with this interaction. Absolutely. The one who, who steps in and is a peer support. And Absolutely. how powerful that is to start. And I think, I think kids, I volunteer with kids in middle school and high school, and I feel like they get, they hear a little bit more of that than I remember when I was in school. But I agree. Having those and role playing and practicing that. Like if you see this online, if you experience this with a friend, one right, obviously self-protection, but also recognizing that in peers. And if they know not only to look for it in yourselves, but yourself, but if you see this in someone else, here are the steps you can take. Like you could let me know, let another safe adult know X, Y, Z, like call the hotline number if it's human trafficking or abuse or, you know, have these protocols in place ahead of time, rehearse them ahead of time so that they're ingrained. And in the moment of stress, they know how to react. Mm -hmm. You have these videos, these training Mm -hmm. videos that should be like for the whole world, to be honest, like these are the (laughs) things to watch out for and be aware of and um, observe. And I think that unfortunately, when children are in it, it's very difficult for them to get out. And maybe they ask for help in weird ways that Mm -hmm. isn't, necessarily the words I need help, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that having other children who can be observant to that or teachers or, you know, definitely the trucking industry is so Mm -hmm. I just, again, I think that's amazing to have them be aware and observing and paying attention to that kind of stuff. We need every, you know, all the people that we can rely on to help get those kids to safety and get to a better environment. Exactly. And that's why we always say like the last tip I always give in a presentation, like it's get your wallet card, know to call the hotline, know the signs and call it. Like actually make that call Two, tell other people in the industry about it. But three is take this information back home. Tell your friends, your family members, because one, obviously you want kids to be protected. But two, actually, we have another program called the Man to Man program because we acknowledge that while there is an increasing amount of diversity within the trucking industry, it is largely male dominated within these transportation industries. And so acknowledging that not all, but the majority of buyers are male. Mm -hmm. And why are traffickers out there? Like who is putting the money in their pockets? Buyers. If they weren't going to make money doing this, it wouldn't happen. And so really the end of trafficking is the end of the demand for commercial sex. And so when we talk uh, man to man, that's the name of the campaign. And we have it under the demand section of our website. When we talk about the realities of trafficking, that the overwhelming majority don't have this choice to be there. While like there are studies that the majority of buyers are like, oh, I know that there are some trafficking victims, but I never buy from them. But those percentages like don't line up, right? Mm-hmm, <laughs> like mm-hmm. inevitably what you're doing is you're purchasing, you're viewing someone who is being trafficked. And they can be Absolutely. trafficked into pornography. They can be trafficked into strip clubs. They've been trafficked into commercial sex. So all of that is related. And so when you are not only taking this home to your kids, but you're talking to your friends and your family members about the reality of trafficking – Hopefully that makes someone think twice before they make that click, make that decision, make that phone call so that we can stop the demand for it and hopefully truly stop trafficking. 
Yeah, that's mm-hmm. going to be a good point of how we can move the safety industry forward, you know, try and mm-hmm. prevent it from happening. Um, you know, I want to revisit actually something that you made a comment of. You made a comment about how you're in therapy to help mm-hmm. with secondary trauma. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is, first of all, amazing and kudos to you for being able to recognize that. But I think that other people who are trying to do their part in helping these individuals don't always recognize that that's mm-hmm. sort of a byproduct of what you're doing. You're giving of yourself, but in the end you could potentially be damaged as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's amazing that you took the time to yes. say, I need someone to help me through this. And thankfully, I mean, thankfully it came about because we did a professional development session on secondhand trauma. Like I'd never even heard that term before, but thankfully, right at Truckers Against Trafficking, trained to be really cognizant of the health of our team as we're doing this. And it feels right, especially when you're working with people who've gone through sex trafficking, sexual abuse, any of these things, it can feel like I need to belittle my experience because I haven't gone through X, Y, Z. Absolutely. And Maybe some people have, right? We we do work with survivors as well. Like on staff, we have survivors on staff. But to acknowledge that it is affecting you helps you do your job better, right? When I can acknowledge that, okay, when I am giving a presentation, it is funny. I thought that the longer I did this work, I would be more numb to it. Like I thought that would be the problem I have to understand. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I'm more raw to it because I, I know more stories and I know more of what the reality looks like. And I've developed more relationships with survivors, right? When I have that personal investment of understanding, like, how dare you ever say this about my friend? Like, how dare you have ever thought that? Or, you know, absolutely. Like, and so acknowledging that it has actually made me more raw to it. And I am like, right, I am a very empathetic person. I want to take on the cares of the world. And so it's important to figure out what those boundaries are in the midst of wanting to and still wanting to share and give. And so. And I think that can be very difficult. I think sometimes when you get involved in an industry like this and you recognize how many people are hurting, you you know, there's this instinct of, I want to save them all. Unfortunately, the sad reality is there's just no way that we can save them all. But, you know, but, uh, you know it's that kind of like balance of, okay, well, all I can do is my part and hope that my part makes a difference. But sometimes that can be really difficult to recognize. Yeah. Sometimes it's difficult for me, you know, as a mom to recognize that I have mm-hmm. to recognize and be honest with myself that my best is not good enough. And that's Mm -hmm. not a judgment against me. That's a reality situation of what my children are going through that Mm -hmm. I can get up and I can give 110% every single day. And the reality is that will not be good enough for my children. And that can be really, really difficult and really Mm -hmm. hard. And I think, you know, in particular for moms, you know, one of the hardest things that we deal with are parents, parents, because there are definitely Mm -hmm. dads that are going through this too, is, is that guilt of like, I can't, fix this. I can't make this better. I can't, you know, and, and maybe perhaps even a little bit of that's my fault. And so, you know, I think that while people, you know, like you don't necessarily have that aspect of it, I, I still think that anybody that's involved in this industry, you have to take that moment. Self-care isn't just important for the parents of -hmm. the children. It's important for the people in the industry because, we need all of you at your best Mm -hmm. so that you can give your best every day to help as many people as you can help. I was just talking with a survivor leader who mentioned this component of, okay, if a professional driver has gone through a traumatic situation personally, like what support is there for that person in terms of whether it was a divorce or whether it was like 
experience, knowing that your child has gone through abuse or that you have like, what supports are there to allow leeway for that? Right. Cause right. Trucks gotta be places. Goods gotta be places. So Absolutely. how do you build that in? So that unfortunately, right. We know that people who are hurt often enact that on someone else. Right. So when we're talking about buyers, we could be talking about people who have just experienced their own trauma or have a history of that or who have seen family members go through that and therefore are viewing this as acceptable or enacting that way. Uh, and I had someone mention that of like, let's pay attention to how are we providing support for others so then that doesn't become pain and trauma on someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, which was an interesting component. I don't know the research on that or how much that is the case, but it was interesting to consider in the self-care component as we talk about paying attention to that. And kudos to you to be able to say that. That is so hard <laughs> to say that about like, I will not, I will not be enough for my kids. But to know that I think a really important part of this is the community, that we aren't in this alone. That's why it is so important that, right, that professional drivers are trained to be on the lookout in their communities as well as at home. And then you're going to have someone else, teachers who are hopefully watching over and loving your kids too. And there are all these other pieces that are so important that doing this together is critical. And the only way we can really build this this net of safety, protection, encouragement, and empowerment for every individual Absolutely. I definitely think at some point we have to like embrace the, it takes a village to raise a child. We have to like fully embrace that and recognize the truth of that statement for so many reasons. Like it doesn't matter what rules a parent has for their kids. And maybe you don't agree with their choice, you know, a lot of their parenting choices, but there are things that we can all do as a community that protects that kid. And I think for people out there who would say, well, that's not my child. It's not my responsibility you know, at the end of the day, these children are going to grow up and be members of your community. And how well your community works is based on how well these people work as individuals. I kind of feel like I can only speak for America because I've never lived in another country, Mm -hmm. but I feel like Americans have forgotten that. As a society, we can only work as well as our societal members. Mm -hmm. And if our members of our society aren't working well, then our society isn't going to work well. And it doesn't necessarily matter why those members of society aren't working well. It's really more about, well, are the things that we can do as a society to help them work better? And I feel like a lot of times we kind of turn a blind eye to that. We like to, you know, that's a little bit more work than we want to put in. And I don't think that that's a benefit to us in the end. And I think people just kind of forget about that part of it. Yeah, the long-term vision can be hard to hold and acknowledge that, right? I mean, you can see it in how much do you invest in education? And then what does that mean for the, what someone is able to give to society later, right? That kind of like long-term vision. And that's one of the things actually, as we talk about this, it takes a village that actually drew me to Truckers Against Trafficking and acknowledging like, I have seen other nonprofits where there's this thought of like, we have to do everything. We need to help everyone all the time. And like, that is like the heart to help everyone. But that is actually really detrimental because then you can't do your job well. Like if you're trying to do everything, it is very unlikely you can do everything well. You have the capacity to do everything well. And so to acknowledge that's part of the, what I feel like TAT reflects is like we work with the trucking bus and energy industry. We create 
in industry specific videos acknowledging that this is where we are going to do the best. We're going to make sure that everyone is the best equipped to do their jobs, to look for trafficking and report it. And we're going to do the best at distributing. And that's what we're going to do. But we acknowledge that there are actually other organizations who do better at working with young kids, teens, young adults, community members, policy advocacy, demand reduction, working with LGBTQ youth, where, you know, there are all these other organizations that work with survivors, work in demand, right? All these other factors of trafficking. And we need them. We need them as a part of ending trafficking. We need them as a part of supporting survivors. Absolutely. And we acknowledge this is our lane. <laughs> Trucking pun. Uh. <laughs> but, and we need to do our job the best as a part of the building block that is everyone else who is also a part of the anti-trafficking movement. And we need them and we need their different perspectives and different backgrounds to really make this work. I agree. I agree. I think that that's absolutely not a bad thing. And I think that sort of goes along with you can't save everybody. I think that if you can focus strongly on one aspect and become highly functioning, for lack of a better term, Mm -hmm. at that particular aspect, that's your niche. That's the part that you are contributing to and allow. I think that's that other part of like, also, there's room for all of us. We all have Mm -hmm. to be so many people can join. Come on in. Like we welcome you. Mm-hmm. We, if you're willing to help and you're willing to take a part of this pie, absolutely do so. This is our part right mm-hmm. here. And you guys can help with the other aspect of it. And I think that that's important mm-hmm. to know. I definitely agree with that. But I also think it's amazing that you guys took the time to say, okay, so we've got the trucking industry. Can we grow within this and incorporate a little bit more of this, but still maintain true to what we've been working mm-hmm. on for so long. Um, and, it, and to add the busing and the oil and gas mm-hmm. and everything. It was funny for a while. We were like, okay, who else is like doing busing or who else is doing this? We don't want to recreate the wheel, but then it like, it wasn't happening. It wasn't somewhere else. And it's like, you know what? Buses and motor coach drivers, bus drivers, truck drivers, they all actually have to go through some of the same CDL processes. So some of those overlap already. We're already in these spaces and spheres. Okay, we will take this on, right? We want to make sure we're doing it sustainably, make sure we're doing it in a way that does the work justice, that does the survivors justice, the victims justice. And so making sure that before we take those steps, that it makes sense. We're already in these areas. Here's this it's kind of the natural next step forward in, in what we're doing. Um, and so thanks for saying that. Yeah, I love that. And it's the nonprofit nerd moment of like technologies <laughs> behind expansion. <laughs> there you go. I think that's yeah. great. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit, actually. So my understanding, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that some states actually require your training mm. in order to get a CDL license. A number of states require as a part of CDL licensure. So newly getting your CDL. 12 states currently require it as a part of the CDL licensing process. So that means if you go to a CDL school in order to get licensed, you will watch our training video or right going through our education portal. You'll find links to that on our website, going through our education portal, watching again our 30-minute video depending on your industry taking a short quiz if you go through it online, getting our certificate, that means that's a part of the CDL process. We want to make sure that this next generation of drivers already know that this is a potential issue, already know, one, to not buy, two, to call it in and report it, and three, to tell everyone else about it. So that's the case. And you know, the industry is saying, no, not on our watch. This is not something, this is not a part of what we do and who we are. And so just starting that from the ground level of, 
as a base level getting your CDL, this is a part of our impact on society. This is part of our impact on our community. And I think more and more companies are interested in, in paying attention to those kinds of impacts. And that's kind of retention and interest comes from being able to make a bigger impact. And this is part of that within transportation industries. That's amazing. Awesome. If we wanted that to go countrywide, is there something we as listeners could do to sort of help that process along if we wanted it to be that all the states required that for CDL licensure? And so I think there has been talk of some federal legislation for entry-level CDL holders would be required to get some anti-trafficking training. And that could be truckers against trafficking. It could be something else. Um, But right, we have industry-specific training that's available. We do recommend we like to go state by state and work with partners because we don't want it to be like someone who would do it anyways, but now they're being told they have to do it. And now they're like, don't want to do it like that kind of thing. Uh And uh so really we just want it to go by word of mouth. We just want people to know about it, adopt it. And because they're making that choice, to do sure, it sure. and they're more likely to absorb that information, invest in it. And really, I hear you. Know. So more just let people know, Hey, if you're in the trucking industry, yeah. let, this is something that you can do and take a moment to watch these videos. Would you find honestly a benefit to people not in the trucking industry going to watch your videos? Yeah, I think, I mean, a lot of the red flags or indicators can overlap. We obviously have industry specific, what it looks like in this location, that kind of thing. But a lot of the stories are going to overlap in ways. And right, these individuals didn't just exist at a truck stop or a bus stop, right? Someone else is on the transit bus with them. There was someone who was in the community they walked through. There's someone who at the nail salon they went to, right? They are interacting. There are other points of contact where these victims could be seen or noticed. And so it's important that we all know what to look for. In watching our training videos, we'll give you one perspective of that and we'll cover some of the general basics. And then we have connections to other nonprofits, other training organizations on our website in terms of, I think we have on our resources page, we have other links as well. If you're looking for other like right school-based curriculum or connecting with organizations who better support LGBTQ. And so there are other sites you could connect to, but I think our site is a great opportunity because honestly, everyone's connected to the transportation industry in some way. Everyone has leverage to share this. And we actually, to that point, we just created a school outreach toolkit. So it's for someone who, I I just live in this neighborhood, I live in this community, and I want to reach out to my school district and see, are they training? And so that's one easily that every community member can be a part of because every community member is going to be part of a school district, right? Absolutely. And then you're able to kind of follow that pattern with, oh, does your company order materials or ship materials? Or do you work in near an area with oil and gas? Like, are you part of voting on those things? Like, are you, you right, they have some investment in what you think about that company. And therefore, can you say, hey, are you doing this training? I live in this zip code where you operate. Like I have voting power or whatever. Right. Absolutely. Would you consider this? And See, we have more intersections than we think to these industries. And then obviously being aware on our own is is important. That's awesome. Can you tell me about a success story from your organization? Oh my gosh. Yes, I'd love to. (laughs) So I will share two um, because we talk about the bus industry. And both of these are actually Harriet Tubman Award winners. So every year we give out a Harriet Tubman Award to someone in the industry who has had a direct impact on a victim. So a professional driver in the industry who's had a direct impact on a victim. And so the first one is a, a motor coach driver. 
So Laren Tarver, he drives for Lakefront Lines. He's a bus driver, motor coach driver. He noticed that a female passenger, it came to his attention that was she was allegedly being held against her will uh, and being forced into prostitution by a male passenger on that same bus. And so it had come to his attention. Someone had mentioned it. He immediately, actually, he pulled over <laughs> like the bus, oh made a phone call. Like they actually had a safety <laughs> protocol in place already. So thankfully he kind of knew those next steps called dispatch, got them involved. They got another bus out here. They got law enforcement involved and were able to immediately take action. So in that case, there was someone who had identified, I don't want to be here. Right. And I, I want help out of that situation. And he was able to make the phone call. They said, yes, do pull over. We're going to get law enforcement involved, get another bus out there to get the other passengers going, right? Commerce, keep it going, but also like address the situation and get that victim out of that situation. So that's, wow. that's motor coach, which is amazing, right? Being transported with your trafficker for purposes of commercial sex. Absolutely. Then one of my favorite stories is with Arian Taylor. So he's a professional truck driver. He was in Southern California. So he drives from East to West Coast every week. So he does this regularly. He does the same route all the time, goes to the same area, knows it very well. He was pulled into an industrial area. He was in line to unload. So he had arrived early and was just waiting. He wasn't at a rest area or truck stop. He was in an industrial area. And there was a neighborhood kind of around it. He heard tires squealing and he's known that there's like some racing or, you know, it could be anyone kind of doing whatever late at night. I mean, he arrived at like, I think it was like 2 a.m. or something. And his normal drop is like 4 a.m. And so it's dark out. He hears the tires squealing. He's doing his paperwork. He looks up and he notices there's a woman who's carrying garbage bags and just mm -hmm. is like walking away from the road. And he just continues. He's doing his thing. She actually comes up to his window and knocks knocks on his door, on his cab door of his truck. Later, there's speculation he actually had a Truckers Against Trafficking sticker on the side. And the sticker says, do you need help? And it's the hotline number. So we don't know if that's she saw that she or saw not. It. Sure. Okay. But we wonder if that was part of it because we do have those window decals and cab stickers. And he saw that she was carrying these trash bags and just looked really dejected and sad. And he's like, okay, can I get you water? Is there something like, what do you need? And she said that she had just been kicked out of the car by her friend's boyfriend. So she was in the car with her friend's boyfriend saying that they had actually driven here from another state. They were just going to be on this um, vacation or little trip but they had run out of money and he had told her this, this friend's boyfriend had said, all you need to do is uh, you need to have sex with these people. We'll earn some money and then I can take you back home. Mm -hmm. But it's like this, then, you know, the wheels start turning. Why did you take this trip if you didn't think you'd have money to get back? And why right. are you saying this is the only way it can happen? And she shows up and she doesn't have her ID she doesn't have any cash on her. Her phone is dead. She doesn't have a phone charger. Like all mm. these things that are like, I can't get a bus ticket. Like I can't get a train ticket. I can't access services. I can't ask for help because I don't have my identification. Like it's amazing the power of an ID and when you don't have one. Absolutely. Or a phone charger, right? She can't even, if she knew the number of someone else, like if it was just her phone and she had all her contacts in it, but she doesn't have money to be able to get a phone charger. And mm -hmm. so he continues to talk to her, hear this story, realizes this could be something more. So he actually, he just starts calling domestic violence shelters in the area. He's just like Googling them and he's not sure what he's seeing, but clearly there's some like manipulation abuse going on. Wasn't able to get somewhere with that. 
And then he looked over and he saw the sticker in his window. It's like, wait, I think this is actually human trafficking. If she is being told that the only way she can get home is if she has sex with someone else, that's we're talking about prostitution now and like connecting those dots he calls the national hotline number. They're able to like, he's like, okay, stay on the line. We're going to like figure some things out. She didn't want to get law enforcement involved. And that is always the choice of the person calling. That is sure. their choice to say, to get help, to ask for law enforcement, any of that. And so they would give her the number to call back later. Like she would have her case number with the hotline. They would know, but it will always be the choice of the victim, right? Again, wanting to give agency and empowerment back into that situation. She said she just wanted to go back to uh, this other home. So not where she had just come from, but she felt like this other place was going to be safer and she wanted to get there. And so sure enough, uh, they gave him the location. They said, okay, a cab is going to come. This is the name of the cab. They're going to have been prepaid. And they're going to take her to a safe home for the night. And then in the morning, someone is going to escort her to the train station and take the train with her back to where she wants to go. And so they got that train ticket and everything involved from that. And he even, I remember him telling me a little bit more about the story later saying like, oh, right. I noticed she didn't have a phone charger. And I actually carry a million extra chargers just like in my cab so that I always have one when I'm out and about. So he gives her a phone charger so she can like just these little things and like food and water that say, I'm not expecting anything from you. And I just want to give you these things. And you can choose what to do with these things. That choice is up to you. And I will support in whatever way you want me to. And so, right, sure enough, she was able to get to the safe home, get in that taxi, get the train ride safely back to where she wanted to go. And just how powerful that moment is right when you see someone walk up to you carrying trash bags like what is your first thought right like absolutely are you gonna be like yes please continue to talk to me maybe not always but in that moment recognizing what that could have looked like acknowledging where he was that they aren't they weren't near anywhere right they're in this industrial area this there's a neighborhood here but there aren't any services nearby and it's 2 a.m and all these other factors he he took that chance and it it saved her life in that moment and I think that's amazing. I feel like as a society, we're almost trained to judge harshly people like that, that come up to us. We're not trained to want to learn their story. We're trained that they're going to try and take advantage of us or that they're, that it's their fault that they're in the position that they're in. And why would we give of what we have to help them what in the situation that they're in? And I think, again, you know, I feel like we as a society have to work on changing those stereotypes because there's so many other stories that are there to be told that don't involve choices that a person gets to make in a healthy situation, you know, kudos to him for, for taking that time to just listen to her. I think that that's one of the best things that we, you know, humans can do is just listen, listen first. Absolutely. Ask questions. How powerful is that? And my thought is that that, trafficker, right? That person was like dropping her off as a scare tactic, right? As a like, look, you really can't do anything or go anywhere without me. But no, we're not going to let that lie stand. Like (laughs) we can step in and say, no, this doesn't have to be your only choice. We literally can take action and help someone. It feels hopeless at times, but that's why these resources exist. And we just, we need to know they exist and we need to let other people know they exist and that they truly can make an impact in someone's life. Absolutely. And sometimes 
helping is literally just giving of time of ourselves. Mm -hmm. You don't have to necessarily give people your money. You don't have to Mm -hmm. give them your stuff. You can give them your time and access to resources, maybe through your phone, you know, where you show them, them, this is a number that you need to call or where you call that number yourself. I think a lot of times is truly just, I'm going to give you a little bit of time. I'm going to listen to your story. I'm going to show you that you matter. And I'm going to do what I can to put you in touch with someone else that actually can help you. And that's what that's one of the pieces I did leave out. He called the hotline, but then they were like, can we talk directly to her? Because right, they want to have direct contact and make sure they're right. There isn't someone else manipulating the situation or anything. And that's just the straightest. So sure enough, he gave her his phone and then he stepped outside of the cab of his truck and just let her have her own space to say and not be embarrassed that someone else is listening to this very personal thing that is happening. Right. Absolutely. How many people do you want to share your most intimate like wrongdoings or like things that you can mm-hmm. you can say are your fault, but really aren't. Right. Right. How tough is it to share that story and how important it is to have a safe space to do that. So that was another just amazing in the moment decision that he made. And just so, so thankful. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's amazing that he would give her that grace without her sharing that story. Yeah. I find it really difficult sometimes where I have to share my story. I have to share my children's story Mm -hmm. to get grace from people. And I think that I just don't think that it should have to be that way. You should be able to recognize that your experiences are your own. Yeah. And they don't always go over to other people. And sometimes just because a person looks happy or healthy or like they have money Mm -hmm. And then also the opposite is sometimes just because people look like maybe they're on drugs or they're mentally unwell or whatever, like Mm -hmm. you don't know someone's story and take a moment before you judge them, take a moment to learn that story or Mm -hmm. assume that you don't know that story and give them grace just because Mm -hmm. of that. And I think that that's amazing that he chose to do that without needing Mm -hmm. to hear her story first. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah that we can trust someone and that we don't have to hear every intimate detail to be okay with treating them well. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Helen, so much for being with us today. I I have enjoyed immensely learning about your organization and all the wonderful work that you guys are doing. Can you tell us what can our listeners do to help support you guys? Yeah. So I've mentioned a number of things that are on our website and our website is www.truckersagainsttrafficking.org. And so, right, I mentioned a couple of resources that are there to, do you know anyone in the trucking bus or energy industry? And can you share this with them? Can you get them to ask their company to institute this as a mandated part of driver onboarding or regular safety training moments? Contact on our website. There's a contact form to learn more and order materials for free. Obviously, we can order and send materials for free because we get donations. So if you'd be able to donate one time or monthly or host a fundraiser, right? Anything you can do to help support this means that we can get our training out to more people and it's more likely that more people will be able to hear this information and share it. And so that's really important as well. And as a volunteer, actually, we do have... Kind of if you don't feel, if you only have a few connections in the transportation industry, we do actually have a volunteer training to be able to go out in your community, contact truck stops, rest areas, uh, trucking companies, bus stations, bus companies in your area, and let them know about TAT. 
And so we have a training program that's called a volunteer distributor. We have a whole set of materials and an app to track your progress to go through. If you want to go and do that kind of outreach, uh, call general managers, let them know free materials, set up meetings. Like, so it can be kind of involved, but do it with a group of people. Say, oh, I'm going to have me and my five friends. We're going to look into our region and figure out, okay, what transportation industries are in our region? Who could we contact and set up meetings with? And we will talk you through that whole process. So that's another powerful way that members of the community can get involved. That's amazing. Awesome. Mm -hmm. And you also have a podcast. Is that correct? Yes. I was just going to say, so we have a podcast. Uh, We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all of those places. It's called Driving Freedom. So if you search Driving Freedom, Truckers Against Trafficking on your podcast app, we also have links to it on our website. So you'll find it there as well if you want to get the link directly. Well, I'm going to actually have a link to your website on our episode page. So if anybody somehow forgets, that'll be available. And again, thank you so, so much for being with us today. It's thank been you amazing. so much for having me, Nicole. It was a pleasure talking to you and a really great and beautiful time. Thank you so much. If you liked today's episode, let us know in the comments section. You can also fill out the Contact Us page at our website, www.throughtheundertow.com, or you can email us at throughtheundertow at gmail.com. Also, if you know of anyone who would like to be a sponsor of our show or a guest on our show, info is provided in our show notes. Finally, if you like what we're doing here, please take a moment to click on the Support Us page and buy me a coffee or PayPal links. All tips, donations are greatly appreciated. All right, that's it for this episode, guys. Take a moment to visit the Truckers Against Trafficking site, and if able, watch their free training video. Recognize that victims of trafficking might appear very different in real life than what you might expect. Keep your eyes and ears open and report things if you feel someone is in danger. Also, know that you only have to take things one moment at a time. And remember, we're here to help you get through the undertone.